Welcome. The title of my message is, Who Do You Say I Am? This is a question that is posed in the Bible. Who asked that question? Jesus did. Jesus. The words of the Savior are very precious. It's one of the ways we get to know him. And when we read the Bible and we read his specific words and his language, it reveals to us his heart, and it, it's what Catherine read in the, in the scripture, it draws us to him. We're going to read some Bible verses today and go through some things that will read. Let's see, these verses are some of the very best reasons to believe that our Savior loves us and has a wonderful plan of salvation. Sometimes I think we get caught up in the details of our lives and even in church doctrine that draw us away from the simple message that God loves us, and that's the thing that is most important. Jesus has not complicated his relationship with us. We have complicated it with our own doubts. So what does God say in his word about us? The first scripture I have here is John 15:15. 15, 15. You are my friend. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends, for all that I have heard from my father I have made known to you. Matthew 5, 14 and 16. You are the light of the world. Beautiful words, inspiring words of affection. A city on a hill cannot be hidden, neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they set it on its stand and gives light to everyone in the house. The same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. I believe there are times in our lives that we're given opportunities and object lessons. And in these little life lessons, God reveals himself to us. Mark 6, verses 31 to 34. This is a story about Jesus and his disciples. Then, because so many people were coming and going that they did not even have a chance to eat, Jesus said to them, Come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. So they went by themselves in a boat to a solitary place, but many who saw them leaving recognized them and ran on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. When Jesus landed and saw the large crowd, he had compassion on them. 
because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And so he began to teach them many things. Jesus has compassion on us. And that's one of the things he wanted to teach us, is to have compassion for others. Amen. I work at a homeless shelter. And I wanted to talk about that for a minute to explain a little bit about what we do so you will understand the people because that's where the blessing is. When you think of a homeless shelter, you may think of cots or a big um, auditorium that has cots and it's more, or dorm-like. Our shelter is not like that. It's called shelter, but there are 28 individual apartments. They're two-bedroom apartments. They're furnished. And we house homeless families. And the, well, I'll just continue. They, they live there for four months, rent and utility free. And during this time, this, their goal is to save their money so that when they leave, they have money so that they can get an apartment because they come to us with nothing. Right now, the governor is talking about ending homelessness in California. It's a, a noble effort, but I can tell you we've been at it for 37 years and and uh, what you do is you help one person at a time because that's all you can really do. Anyway, there are many types of homeless people. They are chronically homeless. Often these are mentally ill and have different needs and different, need different kind of assistance. Some have addictions and other issues. The people who come to us, we refer to as the working poor. People who are working and trying, but circumstances and generational poverty have put them in a situation where they find themselves homeless. They may be faced with an illness or a decision to pay rent or fix the car and they have to go to work, so they fix the car. They can't get ahead of their problems, and they become homeless. Homeless may mean sleeping on someone's sofa. It doesn't necessarily mean in a doorway in a, or behind a store. Sometimes it means sleeping in their car. To be accepted into our program, there's an application process. There's a criteria. Once the application is approved, the family will be interviewed before a final decision is made because there's a lot of need and we want to help the people that need us the most. 
Last week I met with a single mother of four sons, ages nine to 17. I looked in her eyes and I saw fear. Fear that she would be rejected and that they would be living from place to place when what she wants to provide is a safe place for her children. She works two jobs. As we talked, I heard her guilt. It's true the children have done nothing to put them in this situation. Has she made some poor choices? Yes. And she feels guilty about those poor choices. Any of you ever made a poor choice? I know. I continued to talk, I heard her shame. Her boys were ashamed of what had happened to them. They have friends in school and they do not want the stigma of being a homeless family. When speaking with a family like this, you feel compassion for them. They are out of ideas and ready to be shown another way. And I think that's how Jesus sees us sometimes. We know we have sinned and we're sorry and afraid that our afraid, fear, that our repentance isn't enough. But it is. John 3:17 says, "For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him." Whoever believes in him is not condemned. We know we have done wrong and we may have even denied him. We have shame and he has compassion on us. We have come to a place where what we are doing isn't working anymore and we're ready to be shown a better way to live. That's the little object lesson I get from these families. Matthew eleven twenty eight to 30. Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Nothing to fear, right? <clears throat> yes, they were accepted. <clears throat> the memory text that Catherine read is Jeremiah 31 3. It's one of my most favorites. The Lord appeared to us in the past saying, I have loved you with an everlasting love. I have drawn you with unfailing kindness. He loves us. Amen. He wants us to love him back and trust him. And now we're gonna see a little video and then I'll continue. <clears throat> 
I believe. Jesus knew his disciples. He knew Peter would deny him. He knew Judas would betray him, and he knew Thomas would doubt him, and others would be afraid. He also knew that he would open their minds, and they would understand what had happened, and that the Holy Spirit would be with them and help them as they continued the Gospel Commission. Second Peter verse, uh, chapter 1, verse 16 says, Peter is talking. We did not follow cleverly invented stories when we told you about the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses to his majesty. Can you imagine being an eyewitness to Jesus' majesty? We will be. To have been there and seen the miracles and so many remarkable events, including the ascension and then the early reign of the Holy Spirit. Jesus knew his disciples and he loved them anyway. He knows us too and he loves us too. I have selected some verses and I've asked some people to read. And if uh, Linda's going to help us with the microphone. Oh, why? And so we will ask the person who has the first verse, number one, to stand and read for go. us. Second Corinthians uh, 5, 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. And therefore, the new has come. Thank you, Alicia. God doesn't hold those, that old life against you. You are new to him. Who has verse number two? Cassandra. Jeremiah 1, verse 5. You were known before you were born. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. Thank you, Cassandra. Amazing. Who has number three? Danny. Uh, Luke twelve seven. The hairs on your head are numbered. Why, even the hairs on your head are numbered. Fear not, you are more of more value than many sparrows. Amen. Thank you, Denny. When I first met Craig, um, that was one of the first <laughs> verses your mother shared with me. And I thought, okay, there's a little message here. She's trying to tell me something. God knows you. He knows you that well because you don't even know that about yourself. Who has number four? Mary Angeli. Isaiah 43, four reads, because you are precious in my eyes and honored, and I love you. You are precious and honored, and he loves you. Who 
Isaiah 43, 4. And number five, Steve. You are a citizen of heaven, but our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. You are a citizen of heaven. He has a big plan, and you're part of it. And who has number six? But ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, an holy nation, a peculiar people, that you should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Thank you, Catherine. That's First Peter 2, 9. You are chosen. John... One twelve is is um, our verse number seven. Who has number, number seven? seven? Annette has seven. Annette, you are a child of God. But to all who did receive Him, who believed in His name, He gave the right to become children of God. Thank you. Annette. We are His children. And who has number eight? Eight, Klein. This is Romans eight thirty seven. You are a conqueror. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. We are more than conquerors. Why more? Because it's not just us. It's him helping us. And the last one is number nine. Who has number nine? L-Y-N-D-A. Mm, okay. Number nine. Romans 5.1. You are justified by faith, therefore... Since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Who do you say I am? Jesus asked. This question is familiar to us. Let me set the scene. This account is from the eighth chapter of Mark. Jesus had been preaching near the Sea of Galilee for several days, and there was a large crowd gathered. 4,000 men. And when the Bible says 4,000 men, it means plus women and children. So there was lots and lots and lots of people there. Since they had nothing to eat, Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I have compassion on these people. They have already been with me for three days and have nothing to eat. They were enjoying and learning from Jesus and so committed to learning what he had to share that they didn't even want to go home for dinner. They stayed. If I send them home, Jesus said, they will collapse on the way because some of them had come a long way because Jesus knew who was there. How many loaves do you have, he asked. Seven, they replied. He told the crowd to sit down on the ground, and you know what happened. When he had taken the seven loaves and given thanks, he broke them and gave them to his disciples to set before the people. They had a few small fish as well, 
He gave thanks for them also and told the disciples to distribute them. The people ate and were satisfied, all of them. Afterward, the disciples picked up seven basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. And having sent them away, he got into the boat with his disciples and they went on to the region of Dalmanutha. The Pharisees came and began to question Jesus. They asked him for a sign from heaven. It says, the Bible says, Jesus sighed deeply. And I can imagine it was, <sighs> right? Why did he feel like that? I tell you the truth, no sign will be given. And he left. Why was it so ridiculous for them to want a sign? I think it was ridiculous. The Bible doesn't say that. I think it was. Why, do you agree with me? Why was that ridiculous? Miracles. Jesus performed. In front of them. In front of the Pharisees. And they asked for a sign. It's like a magic trick. Can you do another magic trick? And Jesus wasn't going to be sucked into that. He, was, he had better things to do. He left. He got into the boat and crossed to the other side. Then he came to Bethsaida, and some people brought a blind man to him, and they begged Jesus to touch him. He took the blind man by the hand and led him outside the village. When he had spit on the man's eyes and put his hands on him, Jesus asked, do you see anything? He said, I, he, said he saw people walking that looked like trees. Once more, Jesus put his hands on the man's eyes and then his eyes were opened and he saw everything clearly. Jesus sent him home saying, do not go back into the village. When they read the gospels, it's evident Jesus was very busy. He was speaking and healing and teaching his disciples and moving from place to place. Jesus and his disciples went on to the village of Caesarea Philippi and on the way, he asked them the question, who do people say I am? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, one of the prophets. But what about you? Who do you say I am? Peter answered, You are the Christ. And I'm not sure he said it like I did right now. He might have said it like that, you know, you are the Christ, right? With praise. Jesus warned them, do not tell anyone. He then began to teach them that the Son of Man would suffer many things and be rejected 
and he would be killed and after three days rise again. He spoke very plainly about this and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Do you remember what Jesus said to Peter? Get behind me, Satan. The next, now Peter just said, you are the Christ, and then this. So he wasn't understanding the whole picture yet. But Jesus had to stop him. The next event was the transfiguration. And there were several more accounts of his activities before he came to Jerusalem on what is now known as Palm Sunday. The triumphant ride into the city on the donkey colt to shouts of Hosanna. Jesus' reputation was spreading. Crowds followed him everywhere. And the presumption was that he would soon be recognized as the chosen expected Messiah. Amen. Today we know and understand the rest of his mission. Jesus came to the earth to take the sins of mankind. Second Corinthians 5:21 says, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Verse 18, all of this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, not counting men's sins against them. And he died and rose again and lives now and is preparing a place in heaven for us. He warned the disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Christ, is the Christ. What does he say to us? He asked the same question, who do you say I am? And I know we all agree with Peter, he is the Christ. Should we tell anyone? We should tell everyone. Amen. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, your words are precious to us. We are grateful for the Bible and for the understanding of the plan of salvation, that we are not lost or forgotten, and we cannot, we do not have to live in fear or shame or guilt, that you have taken this away if we will just give it to you and believe. We thank you for all of these wonderful things. Please be with us this week as we go about our business and help us to remember that you are the Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, Bonnie.